0: Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020?
1: No. All wages are down. People are working longer hours for
0: less money. These aren't illegal immigrants. Uh, uh, being mistreated I mean, I'm that world leaders laughed right. at new President new Trump. on right, trade war. You know what it is. My new slogan:
1: for 2020.
0: America Great!
2: Hello, I'm Drew Sheldrick, and this is 2020 Vision, bringing you a special impeachment-flavoured episode in light of the breaking news from Washington, D.C. overnight of a formal impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. Our returning champ this week is Jared Monshine, a former analyst with Bloomberg BNA in Washington, D.C., and a former research associate with the Council on Foreign Relations in New York, now a senior advisor to the United States Study Centre here in Sydney. Before he joins us, let's have a listen to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's announcement that the House would begin its impeachment inquiry of the President.
1: This week, the President has admitted to asking the President of Ukraine to take actions which would benefit him politically. The, action of the, the actions of the Trump presidency revealed the dishonorable fact of the President's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. Getting back to our founders, in the darkest days of the American Revolution, Thomas Paine wrote, the times have found us. The times found them to fight for and establish our democracy. The times have found us today. Not to place ourselves in the same category of greatness as our founders, but to place us in the urgency of protecting and defending our constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. In the words of Ben Franklin, to keep our republic.
2: Jared, welcome back to the podcast on this rather busy news day. Thank you for having me. First off, for those listeners who aren't familiar with the impeachment process, what happens next?
0: What happens next is a great question because even members of Congress are asking themselves this. Um, Nancy Pelosi said there's an inquiry, right? What does that inquiry mean? That doesn't really have much of a legal basis. Basically, it's her signaling, this is where I'm going to go. And um, the ultimate question is, is she, as the Speaker of the House, going to bring it to a vote to start the impeachment process? And that's where it has to go. And that's where you need the majority of the House to vote that, yes, we would like to impeach President
2: Trump. Uh, should the House vote to impeach the president and this moves to a trial in the Senate, what is the likelihood that the president will be convicted and removed from office? Because no president has ever actually been successfully convicted
0: and removed from office, right? That's right. So you've had uh, two presidents impeached in the past. You had Andrew Johnson, then you had Bill Clinton, and they were both impeached. Um, the, the issue, though, is that they were not removed from office because – to be impeached means the majority of the House voted to impeach you, but to be removed from office, you need two-thirds of the Senate. And in both Andrew Johnson's case and Bill Clinton's case, and what I w- would think would probably happen with President Trump as well, the Senate did and probably will not vote to actually impeach the president. And because the the issue there is that the Republicans have a majority in the Senate. Um, I think they have a three-seat majority. And But beyond that majority, you need two-thirds of the Senate. So that means you'd need at least 20 um, Republican senators or more to actually agree that President Trump needs to be removed from office. Now, that's not going to happen, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's very unlikely. Um, even when you look at uh, President Nixon, who, uh, who left office, who resigned from office because he was going to be impeached and actually removed. They did the vote tally. And they're like, okay, we don't want to actually be impeached and removed. We're just going to resign. That, that was his calculation there. But the issue with Trump, because... This is a political thing through and through. There are legal consequences to this, but it's a political decision by uh, members of Congress, both uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate, to go through with this. So 90% of Republicans approve of President Trump. Do I think that that uh, Republican senators really want to buck that and go against that? There's, what do they have to gain from that? You know, it, it really is not something that I think is likely at all. I, I do think uh, impeachment is growing in likelihood, but I don't think removal from office is likely at all. And it's quite a spectacle
2: if it does get to that
0: Senate part as well, because they get
2: a—is it a Supreme Court justice to kind of preside over over almost a trial really, exactly. of, of the president?
0: Yeah, it, it makes us think that it's a, a complete like impartial legal precedent. It really is not. It is completely a political show. And um, and so it's a political decision by these members of Congress on whether or not they want to go ahead with this. Let's talk a little bit about what led to this moment, because in the end, it wasn't Russia or the Mueller
2: investigation that led to an impeachment investigation being set up, as many expected. What happened between President Trump, the Ukrainian president, and Joe Biden that led to this moment?
0: Well, uh, as we all know, Joe Biden is leading many of the polls in, uh, in uh, going against President Trump in 2020. But when he was vice president, his his son was on the um, board of a Ukrainian energy firm, and um, this has been something that that President Trump and a lot of uh, conservative uh, uh, outlets have been focusing on a lot. Did uh, Vice President Biden somehow use his position as the Vice President to support his son's uh, financial interests in Ukraine? Um, on top of this all, Vice President uh uh, Vice President Biden, when he was in office, led um, efforts to remove some corrupt officials in Ukraine. The issue was, were Vice President's efforts to remove those corrupt officials a result of his son's financial interests in Ukraine? Every investigation I've seen, every uh, every look at this, both media and I think government as well, has said there's nothing there. There may be some smoke, but there's, there's no fire. Um, so regardless of those investigations, President Trump sees some meat that he can feast on politically. And so he's he's saying, all right, Joe Biden clearly used his office to gain financial financially, uh, or his, for his family to gain financially. And um, regardless of what these investigations say, I this is something that needs to be looked into and so President Trump supposedly pressured the Ukrainian officials current current officials as once he was in office. This was uh, what July and he said look Biden is corrupt and he helped his son. You investigate this and make sure that you investigate the right way i.e. the way that Trump wants. And you'll get your military aid package of hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. So, so he so he had withheld
2: that aid, was it the week before or something like that, that he'd stopped that military aid from coming through. So yeah. the suggestion is that he was using that as a bargaining chip to start these investigations into Biden's son. Exactly.
0: So the acting uh, chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, is also the head of uh, OMB, which uh, it controls a lot of the executive strings. uh Uh, purse strings. And he told him, do not, supposedly, this is reported, uh, do not give that money to Ukraine. And the issue at hand is, is it specifically because he wanted Ukraine to both investigate and conclude that Biden was corrupt? Or is it for other reasons? And by all accounts, it seems like it was for the former rather than the latter. There's a few moving parts
2: to this particular scandal, I guess, because there was a whistleblower investigation into this. Congress was trying to get a hold of of whatever was in this, as well as the sort of the transcript of, of this call. But I guess what kind of shifted things, like, I, I think it was last week, is that the, the president and the president's attorney um, came out and just basically admitted that this phone call and this conversation took place, right?
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure why. Who knows why Rudy Giuliani does what he does? <laughs> yeah, when you watch that interview with uh, Chris Cuomo, it seems like Rudy Giuliani changes his mind midway through. It's, it's a bit confusing about what's going on there, but the broader issue is that whistleblower. Exactly what you said. Um, this is uh, an issue that's ongoing. It seems like a whistleblower in the in the intelligence community came out uh, through official whistleblower channels. This is not some Edward Snowden going to the media. This yeah. is the inspector general, Ryan, that's, uh, right? That's yep. right. The inspector general of the CIA saying he this whistleblower goes to this is inspector general and says. I'm really worried about this. This is concerning. And the background to all of this is like, he's not going to the media. He's not leaking this to anyone. He or she, I should say, is not leaking this. This is the way that every government official came after Edward Snowden, after WikiLeaks. They're like, stop going to the media. Go through the official channels. This whistleblower is actually doing that. But it looks like... Uh, until maybe today that the Trump administration was blocking this whistleblower from speaking to Congress. Yeah,
2: it really took trying to stop Congress hearing about this before it even came into the media. Right? That seemed to be the trigger that finally brought this. You had sort of former intelligence officials coming to the Washington Post and sort of saying this is what this you know in, um, complaint was about from this whistleblower.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the Inspector General of the CIA is, by all accounts that I've seen, a, uh, a straight shooter and not a partisan and has uh, respect across the aisle. And that inspector general was saying, I am being blocked. I am not being allowed to do what I am tasked to do. And that is the the bigger issue. So when Nancy Pelosi and others are saying this has major national security implications, this is what they're talking about. They're saying, well, we all know it's a political show of what they're doing. But at the same time, I think there is some argument that our government is not functioning the way it was supposed to be functioning because of the Trump administration's what they would say would be unconstitutional efforts to block whistleblowers.
2: Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has been a bit of a roadblock to proper impeachment investigation until this point. After these uh, Ukrainian uh, revelations, she really had no choice but to pursue impeachment, did she? This was, I mean, it's sort of, if you're not going to impeach over this, what are you going to impeach over, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think uh, Nancy Pelosi has is a uh, in my opinion, especially politically intelligent woman. She really knows how to play both President Trump and also the the broader political game. And what that means is for months now, she has been pushing back against impeachment in her own party. And she hasn't been only pushing back. She's also made sure that those fights in her pushing back are public. Yeah. She's like, she even t- tells folks leak this all you want. She's that, that came out just a, a few weeks ago. She wants it known that she is not going after some political witch hunt. And so that's why she didn't bite on Mueller, but she is biting on this saying, no, this is serious this time. And she was really trying to build up her credentials and ultimately, her political um, power by saying, I am not being some sort of crony here. This is me really believing that someone needs to uh, address these unconstitutional actions. And But with that said, again... Impeachment is political; it is not legal. There'll be plenty of talk about the
2: prospects of a, a Trump impeachment and his removal from office. But do you think the conclusion of this process is kind of redundant at this point now, because we're cl- so close to the next election? There's a long process. Uh, from a strategy perspective, Democrats probably aren't concerned about whether we will actually go. Right? This is about more than that now.
0: Exactly. This is that's it, exactly what Nancy Pelosi is saying. Saying this is about the rule of law. And no one is above the rule of law. Um, we all know, like I said, with that that high approval rating in the uh, Republican Party president trump that the senators are not going to be moving with that said um i think there it does not help president trump uh in the way that so many people think it does to go through with impeachment um there's the sort of uh perceived wisdom of the last impeachment process under bill clinton was that oh it actually helps his re-election campaign yeah well he did do it very successfully in his second uh, second election right that's right yeah With that said, if you look at who followed President Clinton in office, George Bush, you can see maybe there are some lingering issues there. President Bush really campaigned on ethics and integrity and being a straight shooter, and I'm not going to lie to you. He was basically trying to say, I'm the anti-Clinton. Yeah. And so— Maybe President Trump gets reelected, maybe he doesn't. But I think there are some lingering issues here that will last beyond President Trump in terms of um, the next president, I think, who is not going to be President Trump, if he does win a re-election, this would be in 2024. I think that president is going to go out of their way to be the anti-Trump. Yeah. It's going to go out of their way to be like, you can investigate me all you want. Here are all my tax returns, just completely transparent. And really to try to change what has happened under this administration. Do you think the impeachment
2: announcement has shifted the media narrative somewhat? In in the past few hours, there really seems to have been a change in tone from what I've seen. The, the sense of resignation to sort of rolling scandal and a lack of accountability seems to have shifted. It might make Democrats wonder why they didn't do this sooner, do you think?
0: Well, right. Why, why didn't they do this sooner? And they, they really needed more support. So when we think about, like I've been saying all along, this is political. Why is it political? When you look at what happened in 2018, the Democrats took control of the, of the House. Why did they con- take control of the House? They won districts where Trump won. Right. How do you win back those districts? Do you win back those districts by being super left-wing and hard? No, you try to hedge to the middle, right? You want to convince those skeptical Trump voters, no, I'm a Democrat. That is not after witch hunts. I have integrity. And so that's why they were, in, in my opinion, forced— to address this because this was clear cut. You look at the Mueller investigation, two years, there's so much background noise to that. Whereas this one is phone call in July from President Trump to the Ukrainian leaders saying, I need this done. Yeah. And, and it's just, just, it's so much simpler. There's no extra layers. There's and it was around the time that the Mueller investigation had kind of wrapped, right? Mueller was exactly. testified to that week. Yeah. It seemed like President Trump was feeling vindicated. I'm free, I can do what I want Overconfident. the Exactly, and so maybe maybe he was feeling overconfident and thinking that he could get his way with uh, with beyond the U.S. administration, he could get his way with uh, with non-Americans as well. On Tuesday, UK
2: Prime Minister Boris Johnson suffered a massive defeat in Britain's High Court, which ruled the unlawfully suspended parliament. Uh, He shared a press conference with Trump at the UN just uh, hours after that decision and just hours before this impeachment announcement. Are we seeing a real crisis here in the West with democracy? These
0: are two incredible things to happen to two
2: of the world's most powerful leaders just hours apart. It
0: very much is. Um, But is it a crisis? Yes, I think it is a crisis, but is it a helpful one? Yes, I think it is. I think maybe ulti- maybe not in the UK example I would suggest. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is in the UK, what is legislated, right? Yeah. There it's 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 a different system. I'm I'm by no means an expert on UK politics, but from what I understand, there's sort of tradition there a lot more than what's actually written in in, in stone in in a sort of constitution. And so I think ultimately the the lessons I hope that we globally learn from what's going on here is to get better, to say, oh, wow, these are glaring issues, glaring problems with our democracies. We need to address them. Oh, well, wow. The U.S. president, for example, the U.S. president was never forced to disclose their tax returns. It was tradition, but they were never forced to. Perhaps we should force future presidential candidates to do that. And, oh, wow, we never, in, in the UK, we never really questioned whether or how the, the PM can dissolve par- or, or postpone any debate in parliament. Well, maybe that should be written down. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think, I'm, I'm hoping, um, to, to put my optimistic hat on, I'm hoping that we come out of these crises stronger and our democracies more robust. This Ukraine
2: and impeachment drama has all coincided with Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison's visit to the United States, which included a, a rare state dinner at the White House. Has this overshadowed things a bit, and how has this trip been going so far, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think um, his trip has actually been going really well uh, for Australia. Um, and Has it overshadowed it? Yeah. I mean, the Australia, the, the visit is by no means in any headlines in the US whatsoever. Right. There's so much other drama going on, but with that said, the U.S.-Australia alliance is is more than just Prime Minister Morrison, more than just Donald Trump. It, it's yeah. lost. It's it will last long beyond these two personalities. But under this Trump administration, those connections, those one-to-one ties, are more important than ever. You can see this with the way that Japan has really courted President Trump. As soon as he was elected, Shinzo Abe was coming to to Trump's offices and really trying to get him on side. Because do you want to just distance yourself from the U.S. president? No, regardless of who they are, you want to be as close as possible because the power still is in that office. And I think Prime Minister Morrison has done really well in making sure he has those ties. And and he's not just like in the Australian approach to other presidents is maybe looking beyond the president, looking at the at the cabinet secretaries, all this stuff. In this White House, it is that one-to-one tie with President Trump. That is the most important, I think Scott Morrison has done
2: really well. You've got a lot of history in sort of trade and investment policy. What do you think was at stake for Scott Morrison for Australia in terms of the uh, US-China trade war and this visit? I mean, do you think that was a big topic of conversation? Do you think Scott Morrison got anything out of it in his conversations?
0: Very much so. Um, That is the elephant in a room in all US-Australia conversations. Um, The Australian and global economy is suffering with this trade war, and, um, Australia could suffer if a sort of quote unquote bad deal is, uh, is agreed to between the U S and China, because what a uh, bad deal might be is just China buying a bunch of agricultural purchases, buying a bunch of LNG from the U S what does Australia have a lot of agriculture and LNG, right. Australia could lose out and those in that type of deal. But... The reason that that Scott Morrison has continued what I think Joe uh, Joe Hockey, the ambassador, has said, just saying we want a broader deal, the U.S. should go for a broader deal, is one, so Australia doesn't lose out on those sort of short-term just purchasing deals. But two, because Australia... Its relationship with China is diversifying. It's going beyond things in the ground and it's going to move more to services and what do services have? It has IP, intellectual property issues that have, you, you're probably more worried about the the Chinese like, uh, barriers to entry into their market. All the things that the US has been concerned about for many years now, Australia is probably starting to feel some of that now. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Scott Morrison has, has supported President uh, Trump in seeking a broader, more comprehensive deal. Jared, thanks for joining us at the last minute
2: this week. Never a quiet moment in US politics. Thank you, Drew. Thanks also this week to the Bubba Mara brass band, Ketzer and Maiden, for their musical contributions, and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance.